came to join me for church today. Here at Northgate, we in, oh, all right. We are so excited. Very good. This is going to get good. Okay. Here at Northgate San Francisco Bethel Campus, we envision uh, where we will transform our world and our homes and our community by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. And I'm so glad that you all are here today and are a part of that family and a part of that vision. So thank you for that. Last week, we finished up our series called Mulligan. If you weren't here last week and you're wondering why we brought stones today, sorry, you'll have to catch it online. Um, But we spent a few weeks talking about what it's like to take that second try, that mulligan, that do-over, and how we can make sure that the next time won't be like the last time. And today we're starting a brand new series called People in Process. Like Jesse said, that might look familiar to you because we walk by it every week. We believe at one of our values here is that we are people in process. And the idea is that none of us have made it yet. None of us have arrived. We are all a people in process. And so whenever we recognize and engage in the process to be known and to know God, amazing things can happen. Transformation happens. And it's part of also knowing that we're on our own journey, but also the person sitting next to you is on a journey. Sometimes we have a whole lot more space for ourselves. I'm sorry, I'm just a person in process, but that person over there, they need to get their stuff together, right? (laughs) So we are a people in process. And you know, sometimes the middle of the process, we're a little bit of a mess. Anybody a mess? No, just me. Good. That's going to be good. So I lived in Texas for five years, which is the South, and I learned a few phrases. Maybe you've heard of some of them, the classic, bless your heart, which means nothing like blessing your heart, (laughs) or um, some people pitch a hissy fit. Yeah, it gets real ugly when people pitch a fit. Yeah. How about, um, have you ever heard, you're like a person running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Yeah, that's good, right? Um, Madder than a wet hen. Only all the words kind of smush together, so it's really madder and wet hen. It's like another language entirely. And then my favorite was hot mess. Have you ever heard this idea of a hot mess? It's something or someone that is in a state of disarray, chaos, or confusion. So uh, it's the kind of idea like you walk into your kitchen and your 10-year-old has decided to make a culinary masterpiece and not clean up. Your kitchen is now a hot mess. Or maybe you slept through your alarm and you have a class at 7.10 and it's 7. And so you go to class looking like a hot mess. So this idea of hot mess, I even actually bought a hat that says Jesus loves this hot mess. (laughs) So we can see it in ourselves. We see it in other people. We can all relate to being a hot mess, at least every once in a while. There are some of us that probably feel a little more messy than others, but we have all spent some time on the hot mess express, which was real Texas. Life is messy Relationships are messy, church is messy, and a life following Jesus can be very messy. But we are a people in process, so the mess doesn't have to stop us in our tracks. Which brings us to our text for today. We're going to be in Romans today, Romans chapter 3. Romans was a letter that Paul wrote to the 
Romans, yeah, the Christians in Rome. It's in the New Testament, which is in the second half of the Bible, and this was actually a letter written to a very specific people at a very specific time, but the beautiful part about the word of God is that it is living and active, and we can learn from it today. So we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Now, the Apostle Paul, who had been a very proud Pharisee, which was a guy that was a very good Jew, but even like a step above. They followed lots of rules. They had been through extensive training. These people were very, very smart, and they knew the word of God very well. But he had met Jesus... And as a result, he had discovered something called grace. And so this passage today really lands on that idea of grace. So this, this particular passage might be a little bit hard to get through, but we're going we're gonna to give it a try. Are you ready for that? Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So what we get from this very first part is that We have a law, and we are under it. There is a law, and the law is over us. Now, the law he was talking about were rules for living that God gave his people in the Old Testament, okay? Anybody heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, so those were part of the law. But for a good Jew, and especially for a Pharisee like Paul had been, there were many, 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 many more than just 10 laws. In fact, there was over 600 specific laws that people would try and keep. They were detailed laws that governed every area of their life. And that was what Paul was talking about. So this idea of us being under a law, that's what he was talking about specifically, but we can understand it also as the law we hear Jesus talk about, the way of Jesus, how he shows us how to live, even our convictions and our conscience that we get from the Holy Spirit as believers. There is a law and we are under it. Now, the unspoken question that Paul is answering here is why? Why are there laws? Why do we have to have a law? Because as we get in this passage, he's going to talk a whole lot about grace. So why is there a law? Tell me why. Why do we have all these laws? And the answer that Paul would have been taught in his training as a Pharisee comes from Leviticus 20, which is God is holy, therefore we are to be holy. God is perfect, so we should be perfect like God. But Paul points us to something even greater. Um, Continuing on. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. That every mouth, so that every mouth may be silenced. In other words, the point of the struggle and the tension we feel because of our sin, because listen, all of those laws, we would have no hope. I read a book once of somebody who tried to follow all the laws that were just in the Old Testament, just trying to do everything that those people were doing, and it was nearly impossible. But honestly, even if we break it down to the two that Jesus made, and he said, okay, we can sum it all up in this, love God, love others, I still can't do that right most of the time. And so that struggle that we feel when we see the law, that tension that we feel inside when we're like, ugh, the law makes me uncomfortable. The law makes me feel um, not right. 
It is to show us that we might be silenced, that no one has room to talk, because the law is so big and so perfect, and we are so not. Jesus said, before you judge someone else, look at yourself. The standard that we are holding is not better than him or her, or not as bad as him or her. The standard we are held to, Paul is saying, is perfection. The standard we are held to is holy. It's Jesus. And our hot mess isn't cutting it. Because next to that, we have no hope of holding that law, right? I don't. Going on, Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. When we see the standard, the law that we're under, it allows us to see, to become conscious of our mess. Without the law, we're like people walking around outside the bathroom with toilet paper stuck to our shoe. Or like the people that get dressed in the dark and wear their shirt inside out for half the day. The law is a mirror. When we see that standard of perfection, it's a mirror to show us what we're not. It's sad, really. I don't know about you, but for me, it seems to be the same things over and over and over again. Even without, like I said, even without all the laws that Paul had kept as a Pharisee, even just the two Jesus gave us, love God, love others, they are all summed up in those two. I still don't hit the mark there. And every time I look at the standard of Jesus, I see and I'm reminded of what I am not. The law is a mirror, and the law is a reminder. Verse 23, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And here it is. Here's good news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're in this together. I'm not alone in my mess. I'm not alone. You know, there's no such thing as being good enough. There's no way that we can strive and try and get more perfect so that we can make it against that standard. You know, we've tried for centuries, ever since the history of everything, and only one was perfect, only one, and that was Jesus. The more we try, the more we become aware of our sin. And I've observed two reactions of people in this boat. The first one are the ones that are completely wrecked when they realize that they can't be good enough. They're the ones that identity has been completely wrapped up in being good. Maybe that was me when I was little. I just wanted to be good. I knew if I just tried hard enough, I could be good enough. And when people come to the realization, when they realize there is no hope in being good enough, it completely wrecks them. But there's another reaction. There are others that just kind of shrug it off and they're like, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody can, nobody can really do that. So I'm not alone. Nobody's perfect. In fact, that's kind of what Paul just said. It takes one to know one. We're all in the same boat. Our sin gives us membership to a very crowded club. One out of every one people have sinned. It's an amazing statistic. This is not an exclusive club. 
Our sin puts us all on the same level. Our mess brings us together. And when we say that nobody's perfect, when we realize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, when we really internalize that, we aren't just making a statement about ourselves. We're not just making a statement about all the people in the world. We're also making a statement about God. We're saying that there is a perfect that nobody is. There is something that is out there. There is a standard. There is perfection that nobody has. There is a God. Every mess has a reference point. A reference point for the mess you have in your life is the unmess. You know your marriage is a mess because you know what a marriage should look like. You know you're behaving badly when you know how you should behave. You realize that you're responding poorly when you remember how you should respond. You know you should get out of that, that situation and that relationship. You should quit that habit. Every mess has a reference point. It's the unmess. And for us, that perfection, that standard is Jesus. So here's Paul's point. It is the awareness of our messes that awakens us to something outside of us to which we are accountable. Emily Freeman says it this way, the secret of the law, this law that we were talking about, was not to prove our inadequacy for God's sake. It was to prove our inadequacy for our sake. God didn't give us the law so we could try harder. It's so that we could become aware of him. He didn't give us the law so that he could sit back and watch us fail. No, he gave us the law so that we could see that we need him. The mess that brings us together is the mess that brings God near. As long as we act as if we're perfect like God, as long as we think that we can try harder, and if we just work harder, we can become perfect like God, we are far from him. We are far from him. But when we find ourselves humbled, and silenced that God still loves us in the middle of our mess, that's when God comes near. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There it is. Y'all have no hope, Paul says, but all are justified freely by his grace. Our mess, our inability to keep the law, how we know we sin, that's the lens through which we discover God and his grace. That was C.S. Lewis's story. C.S. Lewis wrote Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. He was an amazing author. But he was an atheist who found his way to God. And he tells his story in the opening chapters of Mere Christianity. He uses the example of two people arguing. They both think they're right but they both can't be right. If one is right, then the other has to be wrong. And that's what they're trying to do as they argue is to show that they're right and the other is wrong. They're applying a standard that is outside of either one of them, that neither of them created. C.S. Lewis says it this way, and there would be no sense trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are. Just as there would be no sense in saying that a footballer had committed a foul unless there was some agreement about the rules of football. You see, he says that right and wrong give us a clue to the meaning of the universe. 
He's talking about his process to realize that there is a God. Because all people, with a few rare exceptions, have a basic agreement about what is right and wrong. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a believer at all to feel this sense of what we ought to do but don't. The sense that we all fall short of some standard that's beyond ourselves. So where does that standard come from? If, if you don't have Jesus, then where does that standard come from? C.S. Lewis says that the natural laws like gravity tell us what a stone will do when you drop it, right? And then he says there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior and yet quite definitely real, a real law which none of us made but which we find pressing on us. And so when we walk out into the world, when we see people that maybe don't know Jesus, they still have an understanding of a right and a wrong, something that is pressing on them. Now, I grew up in a house that knew Jesus from the beginning, so I I like to say I ate Jesus for breakfast with my Cheerios. And so I just kind of always assumed that that's what I felt pressing on me was this right and this wrong, this good and bad, and and it surely came from God. But what I'm telling you, what I've heard is that even if you don't have Jesus, even if you haven't chosen him as your Lord and Savior, you still feel this pressing, this pressure to know what is right and wrong, what you should or ought to do. And that is where C.S. Lewis said, oh, now I get it. There must be something that's outside of all of us that tells us what that is. And that is God. So Paul is saying, C.S. Lewis is saying, that this pressure is showing us the precious presence of God. That pressure that is pressing on all of us is not God pressing on us so that we'll be better people. No, it is God pressing on us so we would acknowledge and recognize him. I think where religion sometimes gets it wrong I think where the world sees religion getting it wrong, if I'm being honest, is we talk about that pressure, but then we think that it's there so that we can be perfect. That pressure is requiring perfection, but the pressure is reminding us of his presence. And the Bible says that Jesus offers us a trade. He says, your burden is so heavy, my burden is light. So let me take that for you. I know you can't carry it. So I've got you. I already did it. I took care of it. That our mouths would be silenced and we would recognize that there is a perfect, that nobody is, and that acknowledging our mess is just one tiny baby step away from acknowledging God. For God so loved the mess of the world. If you are a mess, Jesus is for you. He is for you. Every week we say there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it. There's nothing so broken that he cannot mend. And there's nothing so lost that he cannot find it. If you want to be found alive or mended, we would love to walk that journey with you. Jesus is offering that to all of us, the messes. And we have a really practical way that you can do that. We have this book called This Changes Everything. Oh, there's my bookmark. It's over there at the info table. If you want to take a step toward Jesus, if you're ready, if you're ready to say, I am a mess, that's really the first baby step, right? 
to realize and recognize and acknowledge, I'm a mess. I can't do this on my own. I feel that pressure. I feel that pressure, and I've been trying to be perfect. I felt the pressure, so I was trying to change who I was. No, no, no. His presence changes everything. That pressure is pointing you to the presence of a God who loves you, who loves you right in the middle of your mess, not waiting for you to get it cleaned up first, but right now where you're at, that is where he loves you. We'd love to give this to you as a gift. We'd love to walk alongside you. It's 21 days where you can start to take your first steps toward Jesus. Maybe you realize you're a mess, but you're pretty sure this Jesus guy is not going to fix anything. That's okay. You can have the book too. We think you might find out that he is. He is everything we say and so, so much more. And he wants to take that burden for you. Now, all of us, though, if we really are on a level playing field, if we really are, if there's no one better than anybody else, really, because we've all messed up, we've all fallen short of that standard, then we all have some process to go. We are all a people in process. The one thing we all share in common is our mess. We can deny it, but we can't escape it. So here's our next step for this week. As you go throughout your week and you notice some other people's mess, because you will, you just might encounter someone that looks a little messier than you do. You will be inclined to feel some judgment. You might even feel inclined to say something in your head, never out loud. You may even be thinking some less than generous thoughts, but when you see it this week, our next step is to say, it takes one to know one. I know you're a mess because I'm a mess. I can see the difference because I am a mess and I also see the standard. And it's a standard that I don't reach either. So say that to yourself this week. You probably don't want to say that out loud. It'd be a little weird. Just think it. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for me because God's grace extends to both of us. So it's only fair that we extend his grace out to everyone else. Will you stand with me today? This morning, if you need a little help stepping into that grace, or maybe you carried some really heavy stuff in this week, or maybe you're carrying a burden for somebody else, we have prayer partners that are going to come here to the front of the stage. They would love to pray with you and for you. It brings them great joy to serve you in that way. So come on down to the front as we end service, and they would love to spend some time in prayer with you. If you're a guest with us today, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for coming today. Give us a couple weeks. We're a little weird, you know, every once in a while. It may take you a while to realize that we're the same kind of weird as you. And so we invite you to come back a second or third time. Thank you for being generous because of your generosity, we get to unleash compassion, not just in this place, not just in this city, but all over the world. In fact, when you came in today, you had a little flyer, our missions update for this month. This is a reminder of when you are generous, this is just one place where your generosity reaches all the way to Africa. So thank you for being generous and take a moment to pray. Stick this in your Bible and pray for our missionaries this week. Also, this week we get to start up something called Confident Living. We're going to practice that a little bit. All right. 
And so I'd love for you to get signed up for that. We had some people that couldn't find the sign-up table. It's right over there and the info desk. That's also where our welcome table is. Really, you just need to go out that way. So just come over there and sign up for that. Um, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And like every week, I want to leave you with a blessing. So you can just put your hands out like this in a posture of receiving. May you feel God's grace right in the middle of your mess this week. And may you... May you feel it so much and experience his grace so much that you just can't help but barf it over the rest of the world. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.